Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. We are number 13, Bobby. Charismatic Chaos. John, the tagline is? Can'tSee.com. That's right. But uh, no, it's called The Untold History of the Charismatic Movement. We'll try again, Lord willing, next time. Give it up for John for just giving a shot and try. There went the, and, and, and give it up for Bob. What a guy. What a Christian. Right? I'm sorry you were in the chicken shirt, but we'll talk about that later. But uh, anyway, but by way of a recap, we've already dealt with the uh, intro, the disclaimer. We're not saying everybody who's a charismatic or goes to charismatic churches into the cults or occult, but because so much occultic behavior is happening, and even frankly, cultish behavior, uh, we need to deal with it. We already saw the movement itself is nothing new. This is not some last days movement of the spirit of God. Old fashioned Montanism, early church had to deal with it. The gibberish aspect, that's nothing new. That's done in the cults and the occult, Hinduism. We'll see that again, Lord willing, tonight. Then we dealt with the big issue for a long time is the spiritual gifts, because that's one of the big rubs, the big differences between you and I. Uh, evangelical Christian versus what we call a charismatic Christian uh, is because of the gifts. They want to say that they're all in functions. And we took a look at it biblically for many, many weeks. Nope, some are permanent, yes, but some are temporary. Okay, and then last time we began to take a look at the fifth thing, and that is the aberrant behavior that comes out of this m- movement. And basically what these are, their practices, behavior, things that they do, with all due respect, that uh, they say that we need to be a part of, okay, even though there is no biblical justification for them whatsoever. They're supposed to be spiritual, in fact, so spiritual that typically you and I are looked down upon because we are resisting taking part of this aberrant behavior, okay? The first one we saw, of course, was slain in the spirit, okay? And basically, that was our whole study last time. We saw that basically, taking a look at the evidence, it certainly is not biblical, number one. You're dealing with a bunch of chicanery, learned behavior, Maybe both. And finally, if you do experience, oh, you weren't there, I had this special force, this power, and I just had you know, this amazing... Well, I'm not saying you didn't experience a, a power, a touch, a, a, a jolt, or whatever, but that doesn't mean it's from God. And what we saw, that was carte blanche, straight out of Hinduism with the Shakti pot, with the gurus laying on the hands. Nothing's new. A lot of the terms that we saw that they use in the slain of the spirit, the new wine, and all this stuff, it's straight out of Hinduism. But since people don't learn the Bible, and since people, unfortunately, don't even know about other world religions, hence why are we doing these studies, okay, they don't see they're getting ripped off, right? They take Hinduism and just Christianize it, and somehow it becomes okay. But that leads us now to the next thing we're going to do, the next aberrant behavior that typically goes on in the charismatic movement, is the second thing, and once again, here's the phrase they try to justify, in the spirit. Remember we saw that? In the spirit, what's in the spirit mean? It means under the control of, the influence of, right? But somehow that becomes the panacea to take this behavior and somehow say, in the spirit, and it's okay. No, it's not. But here's the second one, and this is what we're going to deal with tonight. It's called drunk in the spirit. Right? Drunk in the spirit, okay, is what we're going to take a look at tonight. Okay? This is very popular. Now, it's called drunk in the spirit, or it could be spiritual drunkenness, if you're not familiar with it. But basically refers to a phenomenon, behavior, uh, particularly in the Pentecostal or Charismatic movement, of course. Now, here's what's supposed to be happening. Now, in individuals are said to be experiencing intense momentary visions or even, listen, quote, possession by the Holy Spirit. Er, stop right there. When do we receive the Holy Spirit? At the moment of salvation. So when did he ever leave? Right? Never, right? So, and when do you get ever some other second work of the Spirit? No, as if you're missing some, and then now later you got more of him. No, you've got all the Holy Spirit as his temple at the moment of salvation. The challenge, therefore, in true Christian maturity is he getting more of you. As you get out of the way, decrease, and yield, remember, walk, live, keep, and step of the Spirit, then that's when the fruit of the Spirit begins to emanate, right? 
But they say that, that somehow they got, uh, they got possessed, if you will, by the Holy Spirit, right? And because of that, they say, here's what happens. They exhibit a range of behaviors resembling uh, moderate to severe, I kid you not, alcoholic inebriation, i.e., they're really drunk. And it also includes unsteadiness, uncontrollable laughter, silly expressions, gestures uh, that are verbal and nonverbal shouting, sudden intense fatigue, temporary unconsciousness, Okay. Now, this uh, drunk in the spirit or spiritual drunkenness, again, in charismatic Pentecostal services, usually happens at the prompting of a preacher or a so-called pastor, okay? And uh, it is uh, oftentimes done not just with an individual. Uh, it is done with multiple people all at the same time. Generally, after, listen to the word here, transferring from one person to another via respiratory blowing, okay, uh, I had an instructor, I kid you not, and this is honestly a lot of the reason why, he said, listen, when you're praying for somebody, okay, always take a piece of mint or a piece of gum. He said, especially if it's after lunch when you had that chili cheeseburger with extra onions, right? Because you're going to be tempted to think when you're praying for them, they fall over backwards, that they're slaying the spirit. He said, oh, that was your bad, stinky alligator breath, right? So get some gum in your mouth, whatever. But anyway, so, so I don't know if that's what's going on with these guys. <laughs> okay, but supposedly this induces... This, not just slain the spirit, but now we're talking about drunk in the spirit. Okay, when somebody blows on them or, again, lay hands on them. Again, what we see last time, laying hands on and, and a, quote, transfer, where does that occur? That's old-fashioned Hinduism, man. Okay, if it's even real in the first place. But let's take a look, a sample of what they say you and I are missing out on and or even resisting that could really apparently make a big difference in the last days. Well, let's take a look. You now see and hear. They heard them speaking in tongues, but what did they see? For them to think they was drunk, they must have thought they was drunk. They were acting like drunks. manifestation of that anointing.
See what happens when you eat chicken, John? You knew I was going to say that. But seriously, can you? Whoa. So that's what Jesus came and saved us for? That's what we're missing out on? That's what we're being looked down upon as, oh, you guys are just poor, unfortunate people. Only you knew the Spirit of God like I did. Excuse me? Hey, to be honest with you, if I pulled up in a church parking lot at a church that I was visiting with my kids, and that was going on with the youth group, we'd be turning around. (laughs) And we'd be screaming out the window. Okay. Are you serious? Let alone the church service. Right? But this is a, a typical, this, this, this drunk in the spirit. You saw the guy, he couldn't even see. He was being held up like he was drunk. Now, you also saw at the very beginning, what was one of the scriptures that they tried to use to justify? Again, because that's a phrase. Apparently, you just say, in the spirit, it makes it okay. Right? Well, they actually try to use Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Open your Bibles. Let's read that. As a supposed justification for what you just saw is supposedly from the spirit of God. Let's take a look at that, obviously. The Bible determines, right? Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 1 through 15. And this, of course, is the true account of the biblical gift that is temporary, was temporary, and that gift of languages or tongues. As we're going to see again, we've already dealt with this, that uh, that was always a known language. It was never gibberish. Okay, but keep reading, okay, and watch how they try to justify this so-called drunk in the spirit thing. Right, but let's take a look there. Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost came, they, the early church there, uh, were all gathered in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were uh, uh, staying in Jerusalem. Uh, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, when they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard them speaking a bunch of gibberish. No, in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears a bunch of gibberish? No, we hear them in our own native language. Then he calls them out. You know, the language of the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, uh, uh, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues or languages. Now, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what, what does this mean? Well, let's keep going. Some, however, what? Made fun of them and said what? What was the accusation? This is mockery. They had too much wine, i.e. they were drunk. Notice this is a statement of mockery, number one. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully what I say. These men are what? Not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, right? So that's, that's the big phrase that they want to justify everything that we just saw because, quote, uh, they were uh, accused of being drunk, so that makes this okay. Well, let's examine that, okay? So here you have, again, their supposed proof. We roll on the floor. You can't even hold up. You're slurring your words, all that stuff. It's supposedly from God. And what did Peter say? He said, yes, these people are drunk in the Spirit. No, first of all, what did he say? No. You can say that. And again, it was done in mockery. But you could say that. But he said, no, they are not drunk Okay, and so how can you say that this is something to do when Peter says they were not doing? Right? 
number one. Number two, Peter was talking about a literal drunkenness with wine, which is what they were being accused of. That's why he says it's at nine in the morning. Nobody's drinking wine that early, right? But he's not talking about some spiritual made-up behavior where you're wriggling around, right? That's what the Bible says. So then that's the question. Are we just being fuddy-duddies, resisting the Spirit of God in the last days, this great movement that will now radically transform the planet? No. Is this biblical? Absolutely not, right? And that's just one passage, okay? Now, opponents, obviously, like you and I, would cite an explicit lack of biblical description of anything with this. Find it. It ain't there. Okay, number one. Uh, Also, some would say that it's a product of demonic influence. Okay, and we'll get to that in a little bit. And the reason why is because the Bible, uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say to be drunk in the spirit. When the Bible, listen, speaks of being drunk, eat them bad them behavior. <laughs> you don't want to be a part of this. So why would God be asking you to do something and emulate something that he calls a sin? That's not consistent. But let me give you just a, a little bit of that. Genesis 9, 21, when he, Noah, drank some of his wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered uh, uh, inside his tent which ended up one of his lineage became cursed. Was that a good thing to emulate? Is that a positive? Yeah, drunk in the spirit. We all need to be doing this. No, not at all. Right? I, uh, 1 Samuel 1. How long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. 1 Samuel 25, 36. When Abigail went to uh, Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was high in spirits and very drunk. Was that a wise guy? No, he was called a fool, if you read the scripture, right? Uh, Second uh, Samuel 11 says, And David's invitation, he ate and drank with him Uriah, and David made him drunk. Why? So he could have a great spiritual experience and improve the relationship? No, this is one of the unfortunate big sins of David, so to speak, uh, when he got him drunk on purpose, okay, because it was that, which is bad, because now he can't think straight, and David was trying to kill him. Not a good thing, right? First Kings 16, uh, Zimri, one of the officials who had command of half his chariots, plotted against him. Eliah and Tizra at the time was getting drunk in the home of Arza. First Kings 20, they set out at noon while Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings allied with him. They were in their tents getting drunk as well. Oh, uh, let's go to Proverbs. Uh, I'll just give you a few of them. Uh, Proverbs twenty one seventeen. He who loves pleasure will come and become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. Proverbs twenty three twenty one. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty. Proverbs twenty three twenty nine through thirty. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. Proverbs twenty verse one. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is intoxicated quote is not wise. Anybody starting to see a pattern? Right? Uh, okay. Uh, and again, let's just take a look at the New Testament. Luke 12, 45. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taking a long time in coming. And, and begins to beat the manservants and maidservants and eat and drink and get drunk. Was that a good servant? No, not at all. First Corinthians 11. For as you eat, Paul says to the Corinthians, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry. Another gets drunk. That was communion. And it says there, uh, that's why some of you have fallen asleep or died god judged them how dare you do that you're not only getting drunk you're doing it during communion that's what the scripture says not a good thing ephesians 5 18 i love this do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery we'll get to that in a second instead be filled with the spirit 
There's that word there again. It means to be under the control of. You want to be under the control of, of, under something? Let it not be alcohol. Paul says, let it be the spirit of God, right? And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So again, that's just real quick. We can be here all night talking about that, right? But what does the Bible say about getting drunk? Is it something we should emulate? Is, is it something good? Is that, wow, you are so spiritual. Look how drunk you are. That, you amaze me. You must be a Christian. Wow. That's exactly what we see in Jesus. And we're supposed to be followers of Christ? So again, here's the, the irony. It's like the common sense question. Wait a second. Have you ever thought about what you're saying here? Why would God ask us, and then you even throw, throw the pressure on top because you're not doing this, you're not as spiritual as me. But why would God ask us to emulate a behavior that he clearly says is dangerous, dumb, not wise, and leads to debauchery? That doesn't make sense. It's because it's not scriptural, folks. That's why. The only place in scripture that alludes to the idea of a, quote, spiritual drunkenness, in case somebody ever wants to throw this one up, it's Isaiah 29, 9-14. But if you read the context, it refers to God's judgment upon sin and apostasy. So even there... There's no way you can justify that. False teachers who promote being, quote, drunk in the spirit, again, they refer to Acts 2.13. As you saw in the context, it has nothing to do with what's going on there, okay? On the day of Pentecost, the apostles were preaching the gospel, and some in the crowd said they've, got too, they've had too much wine. The, the accusation was a mockery, and Peter, Peter flatly denied any hint of inebriation. Yet, the charismatic movement teachers take this jest, from an ungodly crowd and uses evidence that that's what we need to be doing. How many guys would say that probably pattering your life after an ungodly crowd, not a good thing to do? And that's the basis for this. And again, this is why we're dealing with this aberrant behavior. We've dealt with this, this, scripturally and whatever, and the Bible does talk about spiritual gifts and all that stuff. We just got to see which one's working today and which one's not. But this is stuff that's not even in the scripture. But they try. It's just this weird aberrant behavior that kind of goes with the whole package. And then somehow we're looked down upon because we don't play with it. Okay, it's sad and it's unfortunate. The Apostle Paul wrote, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Again, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Okay, instead be filled with the Spirit. Paul says getting drunk is akin to our old way of life with its worldly serving and self-serving desires. This behavior is debased and it leads to debauchery. Romans 13, real quick turn there. Let me just give you another passage to chew on, right? Romans 13, of course, was written to the Romans. You guys are on the ball. Romans 13, and uh, verse 13 and 14, real quick. Right, but Paul again, he's obviously reiterating this as he's has already said elsewhere. <clears throat> but verse thirteen, there, he said, "Let us who's us who's the context of us, Christians, the church, right? Let us what behave what decently. I mean, not drunken on the floor, wasn't around, passed out. No, he says decently, right? Uh, as in the daytime, not in orgies and what drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery." Not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, what are you supposed to be doing? Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, guess what? It ain't all about gratifying your own self-pleasure. 
And that's what this is. I come to, quote, a so-called church service or a church conference so I can have an experience. That's selfishness. That's trying to gratify selfish sin nature. It's about me. I, I, you ex- Listen, uh, one guy said, they have t- God has been turned into the divine Prozac. That he, here it is, the creator of the universe, and he just exists to make me high, to, like a drug. I, I get choked up thinking about it, too. It's just crazy what people would even... It's, wow, you got to be kidding me, right? Now, the word debauchery, of course, in the Greek means lawlessness, insolence, and unimaginable behavior. What's going on there? That's debauchery. That's unimaginable behavior. But somehow it's spiritual because you just said, in the spirit. Don't buy him. Don't buy him. Paul deliberately contrasts the state of drunkenness, i.e. a loss of the control, with self-control, i.e. the indwelling spirit, right? We're to clothe ourselves with Christ. Did Jesus ever do that? And how is that putting on Christ? It's not. Okay, God wants every aspect of our lives as believers to be under complete control of the Holy Spirit. This does not come by drunkenness, and it does not mimic its effect. And again, why would God ask us to do something that he calls sin? and act like it, and mimic it, and then call it spiritual. Do, do, do we have adultery in the spirit? Really? Hey, how about thievery? Th- robbing a bank in the spirit. That's what I'm doing. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, you'll be chanting that all the way in the back of a paddy wagon. But, I mean, think about it. Pick a sin, Right? Hey, it was nothing but lying in the spirit. <laughs> I said it's in the spirit. What are you guys resisting this movement of the spirit of God in the last days? Who are you to look down? It's you who need it. What? Adultery is a sin. Thievery is a sin. Lying is a sin. And so is drunkenness. But that's your whole basis that we're missing out on this. Actually, uh, uh, one guy said acting drunk and blaming it on the spirit of God is sin. Those who teach spiritual intoxication are more alive, not with the spirit of God, but with the spirit of Bacchus, the Roman god of wine and drunkenness. Okay, we've saw that before, which also came from the Greek god Dionysus, which was the Greek god of frenzies, festivities, uh, festivities, spiritual ecstasy, wine, and alcohol in general. So if there's a spirit behind it, it ain't from God. That's the old Roman Greek gods, right? That's what they did when they got together in their occult gatherings, we're not supposed to emulate that, right? Being filled with the Spirit is not some ecstatic or emotional charge experience. It is not a heavenly high or a spiritual buzz. Being filled with the Spirit is a steady submission of one's life to the glory of God, right? 1 John 3.24, those who obey His commands, God live in Him, and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gives us, right? I don't see Jesus doing none of that stuff, right? We know that He's in us. By our behavior, by his spirit. And his spirit is to produce holiness. His spirit is to get us to bear fruit of the spirit, to be Christ-like, to clothe ourselves with Christ, to be like Christ, to act, to speak, to behave like Christ. Not that. And how, how cheap does this make the cross of Christ? That Jesus came just so I can get goosebumps on my goosebumps and I can have an experience and put on a big show and pass out and act like I'm drunk. That's what he went to the cross for? 
That's what's going to win the lost? That's what's going to lead people to Jesus? No. And yet, as you would think, common sense that is, the charismatic movement by and large not only continues in this vein, okay, but they're training up a whole new generation of kids to do the same thing. Right? And another word that they use, a little buzzword, that, 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 and again, this is what you and I are missing on, because we're just those old fuddy-duddies. The spirit of religiosity is all over us. The spirit of religion. That's what it is. And because of the spirit, it, what, what it's done is just put a cap on this funnel. And we just need to open ourselves up to the spiritual. Are you kidding me? But watch this. They are brainwashing little kids. To take it to a whole different level. Watch this one. Come on. Well, <laughs> today, <laughs> tonight I'm going to be preaching uh, about um, receiving the blessings. <laughs> In John 3.30, it says you need to... Sorry, I'm drunk right here. You need to increase so Jesus could decrease. Well, sorry, other way around. You need to decrease so he could increase. Come on. And I know a lot of you guys want to be a funnel in here. And here's the thing. If you don't have your funnel open, then you can't speak in tongues. And if you can't speak in tongues, how are you going to pray for people? Now, I just want everybody to stand up where they are. Now, hold your hand up like a funnel. We're going to pray. Pray in other tongues over there. Come on. Lord, I thank you that they'll just receive tongues if they haven't received it. And I thank you they'll just start praying in tongues right now. Release it in Jesus' name. Just start speaking it. Come on. The thing is, the devil can't understand you. So he can't interfere with you. So I want you to just keep on speaking in tongues. Don't stop. That's when the blessings come in. Blessings come in. So you open your hands up like a funnel so the blessings could come in. So they could just come in and pour and pour so you could receive more. And I know a lot of you guys need blessings in here. New house, new car. Jesus name. I see it over there. Right here. Over there. Right there. Come on. Over there. Just release, Lord. Do your work. Do your work in their heart. Jesus name. You can start dancing. You can start running. Come on. It's free. We're free in here. Come on. This is a house of God. You just want to shout. You want to scream. Let's go. Woo. That's right. Where do you even start with that? First of all, should you should you have a little girl uh, being the preacher? No. Should you have a woman preacher? No. We'll get to that again in, eventually. Uh, but that's commonplace with their teachings. Uh, can you pray to have somebody to get the gift of tongues? No. First of all, the gift of tongues aren't even function for today. 
right? But uh, even if you want to say they are, can you pray to have it happen, right? Uh, even if it was done, okay, if it was really was functioning in an actual service, if it was functioning today, what's the Bible say? How are you supposed to do it? Everybody bust out in it? No, it's supposed to be done in accordance with it without confusion, one at a time. And if, if nobody can interpret, what are you supposed to do? Shut your mouth. Did she also say that uh, you, by speaking in tongues, the reason why it's a bunch of gibberish and we can't hear it, which, by the way, it's always a known language. We saw the text again tonight. That was a bunch of gibberish. But what's the rationale? She says, well, if I speak, the, I know you can't understand me, that whatever she was whipping out. And notice it was very repetitive. I always thought, well, if this is really the Holy Spirit, you think he'd come up with something new once in a while, right? But anyway, uh, but she said, the devil can't hear you. Remember with that? There's supposed to be some secret language to the devil. What? As well as what? She was drunken. This is a whole generation. I'm sitting there looking, not just her, but those other kids, and they're into it. That's the next generation, folks. Now, let me throw on a little bit of Bible prophecy for you. When the Antichrist shows up with the false prophet, who the Bible says they're going to appear on the scenes in satanic power with what? Lying, false signs, wonders, and miracles. That generation is going to eat it up. Because it won't be chicanery. It won't be learned behavior. It will be a satanic power. There's going to be things that look like miracles, and these people, oh, yeah, that's got to be the Spirit of God. No, that's the Antichrist. One guy says, uh, sloshed in the spirit, it's time to get sober. He said, a few years ago, a traveling charismatic minister from the West Coast passed through Florida where I was at to conduct a series of renewal meetings. I never heard of the guy, but the rumor was that he carried a special anointing. It was unique, that's for sure, especially when he took to the microphone, slurred his words as if intoxicated, leaned into the pulpit as if he were about to fall over. Uh, then in some bizarre spasms, he would shout something that sounded like walla walla bing bang. He said his message didn't make sense, but if he had just said ding dong or yabba dabba do over and over, some people in the meeting would have run to the front of the room and swooned over it, even though he never opened his Bible during the message. They wanted what this man claimed to possess, a, quote, anointing to become drunk in the spirit. Some people began to manifest what looked like seizures during these renewal services. And bizarre behavior was defined as a manifestation of the spirit. Some pastors even encouraged the wobbly saints to find designated drivers if they felt too drunk to operate a vehicle when it was time to go home. Meanwhile, some worship leaders introduced Holy Ghost drinking songs that encouraged people to slosh around in the joy of the Lord while uncorking more of his, quote, new wine. Where do we hear that phrase came from? Hinduism, right? The spiritual drunkenness craze led to other charismatic fads, including the strange teachings. We'll eventually get to this guy, a guy named John Crowder. Uh, He's a confessed new mystic. He compares the infilling of the Holy Spirit to smoking marijuana. Remember the very beginning, that little clip I showed you? That's John Crowder, okay? And uh, uh, the Jehovah Wana is what he calls it, uh, amongst other terms. He's from Santa Cruz. He calls his meetings, he's supposed to be a Christian, slosh fests. He refers to himself as a bartender for God. He teaches that God wants all Christians to continually be drunk in the Spirit. Now, what kind of a witness? Wow. And he provides, listen, he provides resources to help you do just that, including electronic recordings that will help you, in Crowder's words, trance out, and a teaching that encourages stigmata and levitation. Wow. Now, that's called an altered state of consciousness. Okay, and Lord willing, we'll get into that uh, probably in the next uh, study as well. With all this emphasis on Holy Ghost intoxication, did anybody notice that the Bible clearly commands us to be spiritually sober? <laughs> Not only is drunk wrong, but the Bible says the exact opposite. Uh-uh. 
You need to be sober, right? Right? Uh, numerous references from both Paul and Peter, be, but ye be sober in all things. Paul's admonition to Timothy, let us be sober. Peter hammers home the point, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober for the purposes of prayer. To be sober can be defined as to show self-control, to be sane, to be rational, to be free from excess or extravagant. And when I look at, listen to this, when I look at our nation today and the state it's in, When I consider our spiritual challenges, it is obvious that the last thing we need are Christians who are so sloshed in emotional euphoria that they cannot pray intelligently or work diligently for Christ. This is not a time for God's people to be incapacitated. We need to be thinking, planning, strategizing, researching, building, and asking the Holy Spirit to fill us with his wisdom. The Holy Spirit is not going to fill us so we can act like giddy freshmen at a frat house keg party. So let's put childish things behind us. It's time for us to grow up and sober sober up. Amen. Now, there's a second thing that kind of goes along with that. Okay, you saw a little bit there, kind of a tandem thing. Um, And that is what's called holy laughter. And again, see, that's the thing. Nothing wrong with laughter, Right? But that's not what they're talking about here. One of the side effects, apparently, of being drunk in the spirit is you cannot stop laughing. And apparently, what makes this okay is not just the phrase, in the spirit, but it's holy. Did you know that there's churches today that encourage, practice, full-blown yoga? We, we dealt with this extensively in our eight weeks, six, or six weeks in Hinduism and six weeks in Buddhism. Right. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Okay, but uh, so so again, yoga means to yoke. When you're going through the movements of yoga, you're emanating the movements that will hopefully connect you with the Hindu deities. You're yoking with them. That's what that word yoga means. How many guys would say that yoking yourself with a Hindu deity, which would be a demon, is not a good thing to do? And it gets you into an altered state of right. But the churches today who are promoting that in the church say, oh, no, 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 no. This is not just yoga. This is holy yoga. Okay. No, no, no. Would you guys back off? You guys are extremists. It's just holy adultery. That's all it is. No, no, no. You cannot take me to jail. And when are you guys getting all wigged out? All right, so, so what? So I, I saw all the money from the collection plate. It's holy thievery. Right? All right, sorry, sorry, cheated on the test. What's the big deal? Okay, well, come on, listen. Aren't you a part of the new movement of God? It's holy lying. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous, right? But somehow, people don't stop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, just because you call it holy doesn't mean it's from God. And you're going to see that clearly with this next thing, right? Holy laughter. Again, this is a term used by the charismatic community to describe now this behavior in which individuals, often when they're slain in the spirit or drunk in the spirit, supposedly, it's a spontaneous laugh during their church meetings, right? Uh, Many people claim uh, that this is certainly from God. and, And again, it's something that you and I need to experience if we're going to be a part of this new movement in the last days. Now, I'm going to give you two examples of this. Uh, they're pieced together here in this video. One is from IHOP, and again, we're going to get into them in uh, big detail. IHOP, International House of Prayer out of Kansas City. Okay, big, big, big problems. Okay, the second one is Bethel. Okay, 
And you wonder why we're not singing Bethel music anymore. Bethel, you're going to see this, and this is one of their things. And again, what they do, and the reason why we're uh, putting a, a stop on that music is we also want to be consistent in our behavior uh, here at Sunrise is because they often use music to seduce, as you're going to see with your own eyes, young people with the music first. And granted, could be good. I'm not saying all their lyrics are good. But granted, it pulls people in, and then they introduce them to this stuff. So we don't want to have a part of that. But the first one's IHOP. Second one is from Bethel. And again, we're going to get into both of those entities much later, Lord willing, in our history section. But here is what we're missing out on, this holy laughter thing. Let's take a look. Oh, Oh, the Lord is so good. Um, Just when the awakening broke out, we were made to come here. You were made to come here? Well, not on the Wednesday. We all came because it was our Sabbath. And we were all excited, so we came to see what was going on. And I've never seen anything like this before or even heard about it. And I didn't know that the Lord could work like this. Um, so I you never did this kind of thing before? No. Had you ever seen it before? Mm, no. You've never seen this kind of manifestation of the Holy Spirit that you're now experiencing? Mm, yeah. No. You ne- no, you never had? No. <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> and then... Because you haven't stopped shaking since you've been on the platform. Before the platform, she was sitting over there shaking for the last two hours. Yeah. So this is all, like the last two months, this is brand new to you, what the Lord is doing. Yeah, I grew up in a Methodist church. and uh, So did I, by the way. I grew up in a Methodist church. So did I. See what you're missing out on? How dare you resist this amazing movement of the... What? And again, uh, this is nothing new, which much of this, as we've seen with the charismatic movement, that's the, that's the, the teaser. This is the latest movement of the Spirit of God in the last days. Well, I agree we're in the last days, but that ain't nothing new. Okay? Listen to this. This so-called specifically the holy laughter aspect. John Wesley, back and then, Right? Right In the 1800s, John Wesley, he encountered uncontrollable laughter in his meetings, but he viewed it, quote, as an act of the devil. Right? Uh, it also occurred in the Signs and Wonders meeting run by John Wimber in the 1980s. Again, we're going to go into a historical thing later. Uh, the practice came to be prominent in meetings led by a South African evangelist, Rodney Howard Brown. Okay, we'll get to that in a little bit. 1993, uh, in uh, 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 Carpenter's Home Church in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, again, often accompanied with the so-called slain in the spirit. Uh, it was also observed in the meetings at Oral Roberts University. It was popularized by the so-called Christian magazine Charisma and, of course, TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network. Right? Uh, it's also observed by, believe it or not, the Catholics. Catholics get into this as well. And uh, there's kind of a merging that's going on. Again, we'll get to that, Lord willing, later. Uh, with the Charismatics as well. Uh, It also spread into what was called the Association of Vineyard Churches, and it really began to bust out in Toronto Christian Airport. Remember the Toronto Blessing we keep talking about? Okay, that was there. It became very popular with this kind of stuff going on. Quotes, man, that'll bring a crowd. And it did. Didn't mean it was from God. But if you're looking for some entertainment, who cares about the Bible? Right? It drew 75,000 visitors just that year. Many attendees at the meeting spent time laughing loudly while lying on the floor. So, okay, that's interesting. But what's the question? Is it 
biblical. No, not even close. Leaders who have promoted this holy laughter claim that the laughter is a result of being supernaturally touched by the Spirit of God Okay, while they're at these uh, supposed Christian meetings. They claim that the joy was often accompanied by miraculous healing and the cessation of uh, depression. And supposedly this is a new movement, nothing new, of the Spirit of God. So is that really what it is? No. In fact, once again, shocker, you see some parallels and guess where? Hinduism, watch this. Researchers have drawn a parallel between holy laughter. All they do is flip the term around. Laughter yoga. Hindus do this, folks. Uncontrollable laughter. It's part of their yoga practices. Watch this. Laughter yoga has four steps. First, clapping. Second, breathing. Third, Childlike playfulness. And fourth is laughter yoga exercises. We always start our laughter session with greeting laughter. In India, we greet like this, Namaste laughter. Namaste means you and I, we both are one. And let's laugh. <laughs> 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 and in Western countries, we always shake hands. <laughs> <laughs> myself. I'm going to tell you my name and we'll all laugh hysterically. And then I'm going to tell you my diagnosis and we're going to laugh again. Yeah. And so you go around the room, it's very powerful. Now if you don't, and we'll do it just with a few people here just to get a flavor if anybody has a diagnosis they want to share and laugh about. That'd be great. And if you don't, then what I've done is combine it with the ha-ha mantra which is you'll say your name and then say something that happened recently to you that normally would really bum you out and share it with us and we'll laugh at it. So it's that whole psychology of, you know, turning lemons into lemonade. Okay? So here's, I'll, and I always start and say here's how it looks. So my name is Gita. <laughs> <laughs> Not good, not good, no. What? Wait, this is nothing new. Who's doing this? Shocker, who do we keep going back and seeing the same parallel with this movement? Amongst New Age, but it always goes back for some reason, Hinduism. Wait till we get to the history, you'll see why. Right? But one of the obvious uh, arguments against this so-called holy laughter, again, is found in Galatians 5. Right? 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God, then how can uncontrollable laughter be a fruit of the Spirit? Polar opposite, once again. Revival leaders, uh, uh, leaders claim that being filled with the Spirit means that we are being tossed about uncontrollably, uncontrollably by the whims of the Spirit. But the idea that God would make people act drunk or laugh uncontrollably or make animal noises as a result of His Spirit's supposed anointing is exactly opposite the way the Spirit acts according to the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible you're going to find that. The Spirit described is the one who promotes self-control in us, not the opposite. Now, in light of these things, okay, listen to what Paul says again, 1 Corinthians 14, when he's talking about the, uh, uh, the gift of tongues, again, languages, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, when it was in existence. But he clearly said, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches in the saints. The same could be applied could be applied to holy laughter. Again, he says, let all things be done for edification. Not self-edification, but for the whole church. God makes it clear that he does not want an atmosphere within the church to be one of confusion and meaninglessness, but one of knowledge and edification. Right? Therefore, holy laughter would fall under the category that is not edifying to the body of Christ and therefore should be avoided. Furthermore, uncontrollable spasms of emotion are contrary to the nature of the Holy Spirit. Again, it is advisable, therefore, not to look at holy laughter as a means of growing nearer to God, nor as a means of experiencing His Spirit. And yet, somehow, you and I are looked down upon as, you poor little spiritual waves, you. You just don't know what you're missing. In fact, if you were mature like me in the ways of God, you could do that. I don't want to do that. I want to become a disciple. I want to be like Jesus, who actually went out and made a difference in the world. With all due respect, not freak him out. Right? That's not how you're going to win souls to Christ. That's nothing that Jesus did. And if you're going to be a follower of Christ, what in the world are you doing? Oh, by the way, it's not about you. It's not about getting goosebumps on top of your goosebumps. It's not about self-education. None of it's about self. What's Jesus say? The first thing, if you're going to be my disciple, what's the first thing you got to do? Deny yourself. And then come pick up your goosebumps, your experience, no, your cross, which is an instrument of suffering and death. Denial, denial, denial of yourself, of the enemy, of this wicked world system, and it says there, and come follow me. In the Greek, it's in the continuance. And so, at, so it literally says, you deny yourself, pick up your cross, and come follow me so as to make it a habit of life. That's to be our habit of life. It's to be, be willing to emulate, to follow Jesus Christ. And what he says and does, he never did that. And then somehow that's more spiritual. That's even a mockery of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Uh, but critics are saying that this is obviously, it's either you're, you're going to be dealing with something with obviously chicanery, a bunch of baloney. I think a lot of it, of course, is learned behavior. Well, because again, they shoved you down, or that's what sister so and so, brother so and so did. So you don't want to stand out like a sore thumb, you better do it too. <laughs> I really do think a lot of it's that. But because it's pressure, you're ostracized, or you're forced to do it, right? Or I do think there is a spirit behind it, some of these things especially when you see the people jerking. In Hinduism, it's called Kriyas. That's not a good thing. 
That's a sign that the kundalini spirit, which is the snake spirit, is taking possession of you. And that ain't the spirit of God. Lord willing, next time we'll get into that spirit and explain that in more detail. But let's take a look at where this is really coming from. You tell me if it's from God. You know, I want to show you some of the shocking things and, and just how similar they are to the kundalini cults of Hinduism and the New Age movement, Eastern religions. Um, the stuff that's been invading in the last, say, 16 to 17 years, I believe it's the worst invasion in church history. So we've got a lot to look at. And my background is I've been involved in the charismatic movement myself for over 25 years. I've been part of the prophetic movement. I was part of that movement for 11 years. So I saw all of this incredibly alarming and disturbing stuff coming in uh, while I was involved. I first heard about this man, Rodney Howard Brown, in about 1993-94. He was holding huge meetings in the United States, very popular, and was starting to have a huge influence with his drunkenness. He called himself the Holy Ghost bartender, and he would lay hands on people, imparting to them this laughter, or he would wave his hands at people, and this laughter would overcome them, or shaking, or uncontrollable jerking. Uh, all these manifestations were starting to happen. And uh, he became huge in the word of faith because he's a huge prosperity preacher. So he uh, got himself on Kenneth Copeland's uh, television program, and you can see them behaving drunkenly on stage, live on television. Here's Rodney Howard Brown imparting uh, the spirit of drunkenness and laughter into uh, some of the biggest leaders in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the biggest word of faith, prosperity teachers. A guy called Randy Clark came down, saw what was happening, got this impartation through the laying on of hands, got this anointing himself. And he took it into the vineyard movement. Now here is Todd Bentley explaining how Randy Clark brought this in. He received a spark of the anointing in Tulsa and in Lakeland came down. And just weeks later, God used him as the fire starter for the Toronto outpouring and the Toronto blessing in January 1994. And we have here tonight Randy Clark. And I asked him to come out, dear Randy. Because I know you're a fire starter, and you've been lighting fires all over the world. So it entered into the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church, and so it became known as the Toronto Blessing. went worldwide under that name, the Toronto Blessing. Everybody knew what that was about. People falling down, acting drunken, laughing hysterically, shaking uncontrollably, or uh, jerking backwards and forwards, their, their head shaking back and forth, people even roaring like lions, people making animal noises. Um, you know, this stuff had not been seen in the church. I mean, it may be in a tiny way on the fringes. This stuff had never been seen in the church on this scale before, and it invaded worldwide. So all around the world, especially in the Commonwealth countries, we're talking England and all through the UK, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada, and many other nations all over the world, all through Europe, 
all of the charismatic movement was into this stuff uh, for the large part. And so this thing became a worldwide sensation just in a couple of years. Now the basic question that we're asking in this documentary is why are these manifestations so similar to Eastern religions and Hinduism and the Kundalini cults and yet they're not found in scripture, they're not found in the Bible, they're not found in classical Christianity at all. <laughs> of course, in Hinduism, one of the most common ways of experiencing a kundalini awakening is through a guru placing his hand upon your forehead. This is called Shaktipat. And when they do that, you'll be infused with this incredible love and this wave of emotion. You'll fall down. There'll be all these manifestations, maybe animal noises, uh, joy and weeping and shaking. This is a kundalini awakening. And amazingly, it is exactly the same as what we have been seeing in the Toronto Blessing. Now one of the very clearest signs of a kundalini awakening has always been these kriyas. You see this woman involved in the New Age movement, she's walking along exhibiting these kriyas happening, involuntary uh, jerking motions. And the staggering thing about it is that we are seeing again and again and again these exact same type of kriyas right through the Toronto movement. This has always been one of the clearest signs of Kundalini that we know of. A friend of mine from South Africa who's done a tremendous amount of research on this topic says that Kundalini is like a false Holy Spirit. It produces even miracles and healings and fusions of love and power and energy and emotion and uh, all these kinds of things and yet it's the Hindu version of the Holy Spirit, and it's not holy. But apparently, if you use the phrase holy and throw it in, in the Spirit, it makes it okay. Man. Straight out of here, folks. Coming into the church, throw some Christianese on it, add some pressure, allow yourself to be looked down upon because you're not experiencing this, and it makes it okay. Man. This is going on all over the place. Now, Lord willing, next time we're going to get into that kundalini spirit uh, as well, because, again, you could also induce that through yoga, which, again, is a Hindu practice. Okay, we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then if we get that far, we'll deal with yet another aberrant behavior called grave-sucking. Wow. Wait till you see that one. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and... I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. 
The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. You, the, the word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court the gavel's been passed the judges said hey listen we all know you're guilty uh, you even admit you're guilty and uh, for your crimes you're going to not just jail you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty and did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, 
the person who has the authority can give them a pardon and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.